Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Quick tip of the hat to the good people in New Iberia, Louisiana. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Louisiana hot sauce, the driving force behind the Nolcast. And Bud, how have you liked this roller coaster ride recently? It's been a lot of fun, huh? You know, it, it has not been short on content. Uh, it has been short on sleep. It almost feels like uh, a coaching search, except instead of covering one team, I'm now covering 77 because 77 is how many teams we have left playing football uh, at, at the moment at the FBS level. And this has been, this has been interesting, man. It's, 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 been, it's been challenging. And today on the Florida State beat specifically, it was, uh, was drama-filled. We, we had, well, uh, you want to just go ahead and, and intro this? I think you have the, the tweet pulled up. But uh, Warren Thompson, who is, is no, no stranger to social media, uh, and to drama uh, for a state receiver who you know, limitless potential and yet to really break out, but had been, had been receiving praise from coach Mike Norvell on several days of uh, fall camp and practice and summer workouts and whatnot. So go ahead and hit us with the tweet that, uh, that Warren Thompson uh, put out today during practice, by the way. So pretty, pretty safe to assume he wasn't at practice, which we'll explain why in a minute. This came across it at 10 Oh two. When we laugh about the roller coaster ride, I think by about eleven thirty, everybody thought, "Well, worst case possible scenario, uh, you know, all these horrible extrapolations, and you know, we'll spend the next forty minutes trying to parse out what's real and what we expect uh, ultimately comes of this." And and from a more broader perspective, Warren wrote, "Being a student athlete is difficult during this time, and the proper leadership regarding these problems does not exist during this entire week of camp." I have been lied to multiple times about the conditions of other players' health as well as mine. It has been shown to myself and the rest that our leadership is based off an I mentality with them only worried about their own future rather than their own athletes. I have been ridiculed about speaking up regarding this issue, and it needs to be addressed for myself to safely continue the season. I myself am an introvert, meaning my days go from being at the football facilities and back home day by day. I have done my best to take the proper precautions for myself and my teammates to try and ensure a healthy environment during these radical times. I want to play for Florida State and have a great season for myself and our supporters. The lies from our leaders have backed myself into a corner, putting my overall well-being in jeopardy. The neglect to respond to this issue is very concerning and why I've drawn attention to it. I've put a thousand percent into this team and my own craft. I've got too much to prove to the world and this problem is growing greater, potentially preventing that from happening because I've spoken up. Warren J. Okay, so that was long, interesting. Um, when I saw that come come on, I was like, "Oh, this is this is going to be something." I don't know what it's going to be, but but it, it's definitely going to be something because you know because it got put on Twitter, and and that's just how things work now, right? Like guys are realizing they have power, they they, they have some leverage, that they have voice. And so it's going to go on. But the thing was, Thompson didn't really like have specific claims in there. So I was really wondering, okay, like what is the deal here? So you know, kind of went into reporter mode and was texting some sources and, and asking some people, what what is Thompson actually mad about here? And and I, I honestly, I think Thompson and the other wide receivers who are sort of supporting him and, and tweeting about it or at least were at the time, I, I think there's a variety of things that they are kind of mad about. So I think we should probably just discuss them here. One of them we kind of alluded to last 
show, but ultimately, uh, I think there's frustration between everybody who's not Florida State football, you know, like not the admin, not the coaches. I think there's some general frustration, and, and Florida State has caused this by not releasing their testing numbers. Now, I'm not talking about names, but Florida State has taken the stance, and, and this is, I think, a, probably a minority stance amongst a lot of the schools, but they do not release any of their testing information. Now, this is not a great way to inspire public confidence. Uh, they kind of generally hide behind the student privacy HIPAA stuff, uh, which obviously the HIPAA thing does not apply to Florida State. Uh, they, you know, they, they can't release the player names, but they could certainly release number of tests and, and number of positives. And we're seeing programs that are much better run, to be frank, both ac- academically and a- athletically in Florida State. Uh, release their numbers, including, let's say, Notre Dame today and Clemson, et cetera. So I really don't buy the, the, the student privacy argument there. But I do think that kind of leads to, you know, to some, some angst among players and, and, and families. You know, I said last time, some guys weren't super comfortable with the testing procedures and, and were kind of afraid to speak out against the Players United movement, which was the we, we, hashtag we want to play movement. And here, we saw Warren Thompson and DJ Matthews and these guys get a lot of flack about it when, when they did speak out. A lot, a lot of people on social media telling them to quit or, hey, if you don't like it, opt out, which that's certainly an option. Um, but I, I ultimately, I think it, breaks, it, it boils down to, to a couple of different events. First, following July 4th, Florida State had, I'm comfortable saying they had at least double-digit positive tests. I've heard different numbers about, about how many, but, but all the numbers I've heard have been over double digits. I think after that point, they had kind of a, are we going to get serious and play football here type thing? Or are we going to take these social distancing guidelines and the mask wearing guidelines seriously? Like, can this be our watershed moment to where we're not, we're not going to have cases anymore? And they largely got, got it in control over the last few weeks from, from what I understand. Here's the thing. Florida State can't just tell parents about COVID. So the parents of the players largely didn't know if the player didn't share it with them. And especially if they hadn't seen the parent and they didn't have to talk to the parent about contact tracing. So the parents are trying to get information about this. Florida State, in some cases, can't really talk to them unless the kid has you know, signed a release for his information to, for them to talk to him about it. And a lot of these kids probably don't want to tell their parents that, hey, I went on on not spring break, but on July 4th to the beach and was around a big crowd and was at parties like you told me not to do. And I ended up getting COVID because what's the response from the parent maybe going to be? Oh, well, guess what, man? Like you need to come home. You're, you're not going to play football. Like it's clear it's not safe here. You, you, you can't handle this. So the parents are trying to get answers. Uh, I know ESPN's story today reported that uh, Florida State was not responding uh, to multiple parent calls and emails. Uh, now, to me, that is a mess up. If that's true, even if the response is, hey, legally, we can't talk to you about, about, about this unless you know, your son uh, has signed a release. And we certainly can't talk to you about any other player uh, testing positive if, if it's not, not your son. So that was kind of, kind of a, I think, one of the frustration points. And I, I do think that parents of some of the players involved in this uh, sort of fueled some of, some of the happenings of today. Players also cannot get information about other players on the team due to privacy concerns simply because, obviously, privacy concerns, unless they come in contact with them and you have a contact tracing thing. So then it's like, hey, you need to quarantine 
can't really get any, any more information about this. And like, if you've had any COVID at work where you work, you guys probably see some of the same stuff. It's like, all right, you've been exposed to a person who has COVID. We can't really tell you who, but we need to know who you've been talking, like you've been around and we need you to quarantine for X number of days. At least that's kind of how it's been at a lot of big corporations. So that, that was definitely one of the frustrations. And we saw several parents uh, today on social media uh, taking out some of their frustrations about the process. It's, um, you mentioned you think there was a spike after the July 4th. I also think in early June, there was a pretty high number uh, of positive tests that came back and, and the parents were involved in it uh, at that point in time. And there's, there's just such a level of uncertainty. And, and there's so many different reasons why people wouldn't necessarily want to disclose that. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily want uh, to give another reason for an NFL team to run you through another physical or whatever else uh, as well. So there's, there's all sorts of reasons why your privacy is your privacy. Uh, the aspect about Florida State not releasing any info, though, I believe is, is valid. And it just invites more scrutiny. And where, you know, you don't let sunshine in, uh, ironically enough, with a state that has a... Uh, policy that it's called what it is. Uh, you just invite more kind of rumors, speculation, and in this case, I think concern. It's a situation that everybody's having to deal with right now. I certainly think there's aspects that Florida State could improve upon. Uh, it's not an easy situation for anybody, but there's some of this that I think they may be making more difficult on themselves. I agree. So kind of grievance number two uh, happened on when when was the governor's forum? Was that uh, was that Tuesday or Monday? Two days ago, I believe. I believe it was Tuesday. On Tuesday, you have the governor's forum with Governor Ron DeSantis, who's very pro sports, coming back. FSU President John Thrasher, Athletic Director David Coburn, Coach Mike Norvell, a couple of players up up there on the stage. Uh, there were some players subtweeting the event during the event, including a couple of guys in the receivers' room. Ultimately. Like the governor's not going to be real popular with some of the demographics on on the team. And if like if I had to, to bet, I would bet a lot of money that most of the players on the team are not voting for DeSantis. Okay, just I'm not trying to get political here, but the, the stuff he supports doesn't really align with the stuff that they most often, you know, voice their support for on social media. There is some question about whether it's smart to align yourself with the state government of Florida considering you know, what their response to Corona has been. Uh, however, for better or worse, Florida State is absolutely going to do so because of John Thrasher and his connection with the legislature and, and the state government. Additionally, like the locality, Florida State is in Tallahassee, which is where, where, where the state government is in Florida. So that, that's largely unavoidable. And they've always sort of aligned themselves regardless of who was in the governor's mansion. Now, specifically, the grievance that I think a lot of the players had with the comments, and I think this might be a valid grievance, by the way, if indeed the comments came off that way. So David Coburn, athletic director, had said that Florida State was testing weekly, which would be in compliance with the guidelines that the ACC has put together. That's the kind of their minimum guidelines, testing weekly once fall camp starts. I think the way that the players took it and perhaps the way that it was presented was that they had been testing weekly. And there are certainly some players who will tell you that they have not received weekly tests, uh, at least over the summer. So like you mentioned in June, I discussed the, the July batch that they had with, with positives. Um, 
which is certainly a scary situation, right? There's a whole lot we don't know about this virus, and, and we're not trying to make light of that. Now, Florida State did test at the start of fall camp, which was like a week ago. I believe they tested again, what, today? No, he said they were tested today. Sorry, yeah. so today. So basically, they since the start of fall camp, I do believe it is accurate to say that Florida State has been testing weekly. I do not believe that it has been accurate to say that Florida State is testing weekly like since everybody got back on campus in June. Would you agree with that? I, I think that's a fair way to characterize this. But the players certainly took issue with the implication that they have been testing weekly on a regular basis, like since they came back, which I, I think is, is how a lot of the players took it. Uh, I dare say if you put 10 people in a room who have nothing to do with this at all, six or seven of them might have interpreted Coburn's uh, statements as such. I don't know that he was misrepresenting the truth, uh, but there's certainly some ambiguity there. And the way that I read it, heard it, makes it sound as though they've been actively testing weekly, not that they have begun that. And today would be the uh, you know, second set, the, the first test that they've applied that actually falls within that window of time that he's describing. Right. Ultimately, maybe we'll have more positives pop up. Maybe we won't. We did have one positive. And so the players were, were, were not happy about that. And if I had to guess, I think that's probably the lie that Warren Thompson is referring to. If like if if there is one, maybe maybe the the like the, the his comments about um if I, if I can swing back to his, his specific language here, but his comments about uh, lack of information from the coaches and, and them not being forthcoming, I I think we addressed that in the prior little segment there about like what exactly they can and cannot say due to student privacy uh, concerns. So, and I I think Warren's concerns are are valid somewhat at least. Then, and, and this hits home for him because ultimately on Wednesday, DJ Matthews, the receiver, tested positive for COVID. And so he had been in contact with several other receivers who now have to quarantine, right? And are, are missing practice, et, et cetera. Uh, and I think there's some angst about, okay, like why was he allowed to be around other players? Now, as far as I can tell, I don't think there's been any allegation that Florida State knew that he had COVID and, and still allowed him to be around other players, which would be like a pretty egregious offense. I, I think you would agree. However, I do think there are players who think that Matthews showed symptoms. And I, the, the question is, okay, like showed symptoms meaning what? Like, did he... Did he fail the, the little forehead scanner that, that they used to, to check for temperature before he went in, in, into team meetings? If so, I really kind of doubt they would allow him in. Did he vocalize his concerns about feeling sick earlier in the week to anybody who would actually see them and act on them? I, I don't know. And so far, it has not been alleged by any of the players that he did. I will say Matthews was tweeting about COVID in sort of a vague way and how it's no joke and whatnot earlier in the week. I don't know if that got uh, deleted or, or still up there. And he was also retweeting some stuff. So like, who knows if DJ was actually feeling bad or not earlier in the week, but certainly he did expose other players uh, earlier in the week who now have to quarantine. And so if you're Warren Thompson, I don't know if Warren Thompson has COVID. I, I don't know if, if he has his test results back yet from whenever he last got tested for this, but he, you know, one of the guys, like he mentioned in his article, or in, in his article, in, in his open letter, uh, being quarantined, 
I can totally see why he's pissed off, right? Like I can totally see why he why he thinks that's not a very good system. That hey man, how are you letting me around somebody who who has COVID here? Yeah, yeah. I think it it certainly sounds as though some type of protocols were broken. Yeah, you, you hear mixed stories when you talk to people in the more not mixed stories as to whether or not their their protocols there absolutely are, but some of the more voluntarily volunteer ones, some of the players may take more seriously than others. Hard to hard to get 19, 20 year old kids to do everything that you want them to all the time. But I can, you know, I can see the frustration with a segment uh, of the team. And if the wide receiver group really feels like it was unnecessarily exposed to COVID and, um, uh, you know, I also think that I don't know, but we 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 certainly try to try to stick to sports uh, to kind of make a play at that phrase. But I think it's worth noting that, like, you know, we're we're two Caucasians and we're thirty five years old or in our mid thirties, however old we are. We're old, man. And that the impact of COVID uh, is felt on the African American community in a manner that's just not uh, for for Caucasians for whatever reason. And a lot of these coaches, you know, I don't say necessarily at Florida State, but there's a lot of coaches in the industry who think, oh, COVID nonsense, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'd just be real careful about that. You know, you can go to Doherty County in Albany and, and ask people how serious COVID is and, and some of these other hotspots where it's really wrecked communities. And there's maybe a little bit of disconnect between some of these players' concerns and then some of the broader fan base as they kind of look at this virus and, and assess its seriousness. I, I completely agree with you there, and, and we we have heard you know, more general complaints uh, about some players thinking that coaches are are not taking it seriously and kind of taking the attitude of, well, hey, if you don't like it, opt out, right? And now we know that the NCAA has recommended that you don't lose a year of eligibility. So if that happens, I, I, I can only think that the attitude of coaches around the country uh, espousing that are, are going to become more brazen, right? Like, hey, if you don't like what we're doing. Opt out. We'll yeah. see you next year. Opt out and spend more time with me. That will be great for all of us. Right. I- I- exactly. Um, you know, potential, like opt out and potentially lose your spot. Right. O- opt out and get passed up on the depth chart. O- opt out and and you're not participating in our our the same COVID protections and and procedures. So I I definitely understand why Warren Thompson would be mad. I, I think honestly. Florida State needs to investigate the heck out of this. Now, Mike Norvell did address it in his press conference today. I think this was a very difficult situation for him to be put in because the tweet was literally put out while he was at practice with his team, and he rolls right from the practice field to uh, to the Zoom call, which was previously scheduled for 11 a.m. I was on the Zoom call, and Norvell talked about how much he communicates with his team. I was like, wow, this feels very deja vu, uh, with the exception of he kind of was really specific about how he'd communicate with them. Okay, so on, on, I think it was Tuesday, he said we had a a full team Zoom call. Then I had follow-up individual meetings with multiple players. I talked to certain players about contact tracing, but he he was careful not to say, I've spoken with every player one-on-one, which was his misstep back in the day with the Marvin Wilson situation. But look, FSU needs to investigate this. And if they find that, that what Coburn said is not accurate, then they should be like, hey, you know what? We misspoke on this. We we we've been we're, we're testing now weekly since the start of fall camp since those ACC guidelines came down. We were not testing like you know throughout the summer, and we're sorry for for implying so. But there is kind of this whole other side of things, okay? And and I want to get to this after our ad break here. But 
when I saw this, there was a part of me that just instantly said, eh, smell test. I don't know. So after the air break, let's, let's talk about that because I'm not the only one. Some players on the team were also pretty skeptical of some of this stuff. So tonight I want to tell you about legendary home loans, legendary home loans. Chad Shannon over there do a tremendous job. 844 FSU loan. Over 70 Noel Cast listeners have now got their home loan or refi through Legendary. Now is a great time to get one. I've done both my home loan and my refi through those guys. It's expert, expert knowledge, great customer service, access to rates. When you give them a call, 844 FSU loan, you also get a little bit of that Noel chat. Shannon and Chad blow me up on, on the text line all the time. They're advertisers that they get access to the, uh, the Bud Elliott cell phone number there. So guys, uh, if you're in need of home loan, check them out. 844-FSU-LOAN. Make a legendary decision today. Norvell kind of takes a little bit harder line in the response than I thought he was going to, right? And I think the reason he did is because he specifically said in this press conference, hey, I've had conversations with these guys about contact tracing and I talked to them literally, like what, last night, I think he said, or Wednesday? which is like the day that Matthews got his, got his positive. So I, I think Norvell was fairly confident that he knew and remembered what he had told these guys. It's also worth noting that a lot of these guys tweeting about this stuff have been either off the team or suspended a couple times, right? They've had some disciplinary stuff. They're, they're not really like the most trustworthy guys on the team as far as personal responsibility. And Ultimately, you actually had other players like kind of subtweeting the receiver <laughs> while this was going on. Like once they got off the practice field, Marvin Wilson didn't subtweet him, but he, he came out in response or like in favor of Coach Norvell. And, and Marvin Wilson is a guy who literally called Mike Norvell a liar like, like two, three months ago. And they seem to have made up. And like now he supports Norvell. Probably because Norvell said, you know what, man, I misspoke and I apologize. And that's the thing you really shouldn't be misspeaking about right now because it's a sensitive issue. Josh Kando came out, said he feels totally safe and, and supports FSU's procedures. Uh, Jaden Woodby, a guy who we damn sure know is not afraid to, to share his opinion, uh, came out in, in support of, of feeling safe. Asante Samuel, I think Bolden tweeted as well. You had a couple of guys who were like kind of tweeting, uh, you know, re- receivers always looking for attention, right? <laughs> like, in the bigger picture, man, there's a lot of big picture stuff to talk about. And, and I know we got a couple things down here on our sheet. Like this receiver room has been a problem for a while. And it doesn't mean that their claims are not valid. But it does, like, when I see that the, the complaint is coming from the receiver room, I do kind of pause a little bit. I'm like, wait a second. What's the actual claim here? I want to know specifically what the problem is because those guys have been drama, man. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's more than fair to point out uh, that that this should be thoroughly investigated, and Florida State needs to take a deep, hard look at itself and see what it's doing and seeing what it's not doing, and at the same time point out that uh, two of the individuals that are bringing these things to light are, you know, some some of the people that you would want more supporting details uh, from uh, before they stated anything on the roster. I'll, I'll put it that way. So it's. Um, you know, it's just something that you got to have some kind of familiarity with the, with the people involved. Doesn't mean you dismiss it. Doesn't mean you don't take it seriously. Uh, but I do think it's worth, you know, as I probably say too frequently, it's worth putting it through a filter. It's worth putting it through the wide receiver filter uh, when you look at this. And I'll speak even a little bit of a, of a larger picture here. 
And this may not have anything to do with what happened today. But I do think that Florida State suffers and has suffered for about half a decade now from a lack of structured leadership all the way through the top, where you have people that are doing jobs that aren't their jobs. Uh, you At the end of, I mean, I'm not going to spill all the beans here, but I'll tell you, Stan and Jimbo's relationship was exceptionally toxic, like capital T. Put, put the whole damn word in caps if you want to. And Stan wasn't really doing the role of an athletic director during his final period here. The guy who negotiated Willie Taggart and really brought him to the school was the president. Stan was there and more or less walked away from some of the more important aspects of that courtship. Uh, so you've got a president who's kind of playing AD. You've got an AD who is like a spreadsheet master, but who has never really been an athletic director before. Uh, you just have all these different elements that I think lead to some of the dysfunction that we saw today. Now, am I saying any of what happened five years ago has to do with a tweet that went up at 10 o'clock in the morning? No. But I think some of the things that are in place at Florida State and have in, been in place for a while lead itself to some of this kind of bizarre that we see out of the program more recently. Are you saying that maybe Florida State doesn't get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to dysfunctional stuff because of their track record? I am saying that. And I'm saying there's still a whole lot of dead wood in the athletic center, which we've talked about an awful lot. And it's been improved upon, but there's still, you know, if Florida State wants to be as serious as possible about athletics, and it needs to continue to take a, take a look at, you know, some of the people that make up uh, the staff and, and how it's constructed and what their ultimate goals are. And I, I do want to point out that is not us endorsing some of the recent uh, layoffs and furloughs that, that, that they made. Yeah, I just sort of, before before we get comments about that. Oh Lord, no, 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 not what I was trying to say at all. And and I appreciate you saying that. That's not uh, you know some great people were let go from there. So thank you for saying that. By no means was that's what I was trying to imply at all. I also want to point out a word that Mike Norvell said in his press conference today over and over and over again: voluntary. He's like, all this is voluntary. It's voluntary. Like the workouts, voluntary practice is voluntary. And he's basically implying there, if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel safe, opt out. Your scholarship is honored. Your eligibility, the NCAA just, you know, they just announced that like it's most likely going to be honored. Now the NCAA has approved that, but or uh, approved that, but like their their council drafted that. I think that is sort of a message, right? To, to say, hey, like Mike Norvell's backing Florida State's testing procedures. Most of the players on the team, not all, like like I said last last episode, there are certainly some who don't don't feel feel comfortable with it. That's their right, and they may be right. Who knows? But a decent number of the players are publicly in favor of of the testing procedures. Norvell certainly believes in it. We know that Florida State was doing the heart stuff and the heart scans in response to the myocarditis, kind of well before some other schools was, was, were, were doing so. And the reason is because, and I was talking to my friend Jeff Cameron about this the other day. He's like, do you remember when we had um, the women's basketball player die from a heart issue in the early 2000s, right? And, th- and then you also had, had Darling pass away uh, in, you know, like in, again, the early 2000s, right? Or was that 99? I think it was 2000s, like maybe 01. So like Florida State is pretty conscious about, about that health issue stuff as it relates to, to heart problems. And I think 
Florida State's like, look, we're kind of proud of our testing procedures here. We, we've been at the forefront of, of trying to come up with, with, with the right plan. Now, maybe they weren't as good over the summer as they needed to be, right? If they weren't testing weekly over the summer, then I, I think you can argue maybe they were not as good as they needed to be. But if they, if they are testing weekly now, when you're not out there playing other, uh, other teams and students are not back on campus yet, and you have an in-house lab, which should help you get results more quickly, as opposed to farming it out to somewhere else. You know, I mean, you have, you have your partnership with with TLH, like that. It seems like they might actually be doing a pretty good job on this, and I think that's what Norvell thinks, man, because he pushed back kind of hard on this. It, it, like he used the word "disappointed" that uh, uh, that Warren Thompson put that out, and I I don't really know. Do you remember? Did he say disappointed when 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 Wilson put that out? I'm trying to think. It, oh no! I think he was much more kind of walking, like walking the comments back. Like 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 he took a little while to put out his statement, if I recall too. And I was probably just trying to figure out what the heck like he said that that pissed off Marvin. In this case, I think he knew exactly what he had said to these guys, and I don't say it came out firing, but he was like, "Look, all this does voluntary. We've been very clear. We've talked about this over and over and over again, and ultimately." It is his job to communicate better with the players. It is David Coburn's job to communicate and communicate accurately with the players. Uh, but my, my second big picture take here, man, is this also shows the difficulty of managing 130, 150 people getting tested in, in this situation in the age of coronavirus. Like this is just, it's kind of a, a, a clown show, not at Florida State, just nationally. Like there's a reason the Big Ten and Pac-12 said, all right, we're out. And most of it's liability, some of it's union. But at the same time, I think there's also like like logistical challenges of conducting all this testing, contact tracing, trying to keep everybody safe. It's not easy. It's not just, all right, now that we've got the plan, this is all going to work. There's some toughness to this. And I, I think that's kind of one of my big picture takeaways tonight is it's just how, how difficult that is. Yeah, I'll read you a statement real quickly. I'm proud of Marvin for utilizing his platform to express his reaction to my comments in an earlier interview. Uh, last Saturday, I'll skip that part. Uh, Marvin is right. It was a mistake to use every, the word every, particularly at this time. Words are important, and I'm sorry. Once again, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I was able to speak to our team more in depth as a result of Marvin being willing to express his feelings. Okay, now, in a statement today, <laughs> Norvell did use the word right, but he uses it in the context of they have the right to tweet whatever they want, <laughs> not what they are tweeting is correct. Uh, so, you know what? I, I, this may be a, a misunderstanding. It, it may be, you know, like kind of a mis, misrepresentation and then, or a misunderstanding of a, of a misrepresentation. Who knows? The main thing is you got to make sure your procedures that you've laid out are being followed and that you are not having slip-ups. Like, if Matthews was indeed feeling sick earlier in the week, he can't be in a meeting with other guys, right? Like, you need to kind of you need to kind of choke this down to where it's right. We need to quarantine his roommate. Who else was he actually with? Like, when did he start feeling bad? Like, let, let's let's knock that out because now, I mean, you got like half your scholarship receivers out of practice. One thing I want to put out there, I don't think, and I said this in the last podcast or two podcasts ago. We're certainly not going to speculate on things and individuals who may choose not to play. Uh, there are some rumors uh, out there that there may be some more names to come. I don't, I would hope, I would advise 
that you not necessarily pair what happened today with somebody opting out 48 hours from now. Uh, I don't think they're necessarily correlated. In fact, I would strongly say that in some cases they're not. So uh, we'll have to see if any more names come to the, come to fruition. There's, there's uh, some thought that there may be uh, some more and that they may be made public in the near future. Uh, I would say don't necessarily lump it together with what happened uh, via social media this afternoon. I will say, I think they are very strongly correlated with what happened on Wednesday, which was the NCAA's uh, council proposing that you keep your eligibility. I think that's the really strong correlation here because previously, guys were worried, okay, if I sit out, okay, I keep keep my scholarship, that's cool, but do I have to burn a redshirt year? If I've already redshirted, am I going to get screwed and and, and burn a year of actual on-field eligibility? Now that they know they, they will not, unless the NCAA somehow shoots this down, and I really don't think they will because they're tone deaf sometimes, but that would be like the most tone deaf thing ever if you're like, nope, if you want to sit out, you lose a year of eligibility, uh, unpaid athlete. I think that's actually the correlation. Like, I, I think we will see more guys sit out at Florida State, but also elsewhere, probably as early as next week, or especially once that's officially approved by the NCAA. If I was advising somebody right now, I would say don't opt out right now unless you just feel really unsafe. Just opt out once the NCAA actually votes on that and you know you won't lose a year because this year is going to be crazy. I think there's a delineation there to make between guys who see themselves playing more college football and guys who don't. Right, okay. There may be, you know, some of those guys that that may do the so with the idea of never of uh, the next uniform they put on being one that writes in the the same logo that's on the check that they get every other week. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. Uh, so, other big takeaways: this is something we banged on a lot in the show, and I got to tell you, man, people didn't don't like it. I still think they don't like it. A lot of these kids had never heard of Mike Norvell before he got hired. They don't actually follow college football. He actually hasn't won anything big. I mean, he won the AAC, but I guarantee you probably 90% of Florida State's roster does not know what the AAC stands for. Just telling you. Being hired does not automatically get you respect as a leader. And unfortunately, Coach Norvell is experiencing what I think a lot of us are going, going through right now who experience job change at this time. It is really hard to win people over and implement changes via Zoom. And the vast majority of experience this team has had with Coach Mike Norvell has been over Zoom, not in person. I mean, you're talking probably shut down so it's like 70 days. They've been back with him for I mean, you're talking like 70% of their time together has been over Zoom. There's a decent amount of bonding. I, I was talking to a guy today who, who was a former All-ACC player, not, not a Florida State guy. He's like, man, there's a certain amount of like joking around you have with, with, with your new coach. And it, understanding who he is as a person, right? Being around him, laughing, joking, cutting up, that, that kind of stuff. Doing stuff you just can't really do on, on Zoom as much. And Florida State hasn't had that. We're also seeing this right now at Michigan State, where Mel Tucker has not had that either. This is a year zero situation, and I think Mike Gravel has won over some guys on this team. But it's real clear he's not won everybody over yet. And I don't know that that's really his fault. 
Okay. Uh, this is just a weird situation this year, as I'm sure your life's probably pretty weird right now. I'm, I got a haircut today and I was like super excited to get a haircut. I mean, I not only had that much hair left, dude, but I was like, I get out of the house. Like it's kind of, it's kind of cool. You know, I get to drive the car and go somewhere and it's just a weird time. He clearly has more to do to win over the, the, the whole team. And we'll see if he's able to do it this year. I'm not convinced he is this year. That's why I really think labeling this uh, as a year zero is, uh, uh, is accurate. And my final bullet point uh, is that the receiver room continues to be the source of endless entertainment and drama for us. Uh, not necessarily unjustified, but it is never dull there. If you had to ask me, like, okay, pick a position on Florida State's team that is going to do something crazy or inappropriate or tweet something wild, I'd be like, receiver. You know, the, the, uh, you know the meme where the husband is like, so he's like, all right, option A is you get to go uh, on a wonderful vacation, uh, but, uh, but you got to bring your wife and kids. He's like, or option B, they go on a vacation. The guy's like, B, 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 B. <laughs> like, I, I would, I'd be pressing the receiver room button like immediately if, if, if I was on a game show and they're like, pick, pick the position group that, that is going to do something crazy. Yeah, man, it's uh, it is what it is with that group. And if there's one area that could, you know, continue to uh, be a beneficiary of a of a kind of a culture change, it is that group. So, man, um, you mentioned like this group had Noonie too. Like I'm thinking about like prior years, dude. Like yeah, this, I mean, is- this group has had everything except for a whole lot of production. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what comes with it. I think there's some bright spots. Emerging from uh, <laughs> from practice, we'll talk about that on the next Nullcast when we can actually talk about football. Uh, but there's some there's some optimism on the horizon when it comes to the wide receivers. Yeah, shout out Kentron Poitier. Yeah, Poitier is doing his thing, making his mark. Certainly, uh, a mark to be made was one uh, down at Township, or excuse me, down at College Town today, uh, right behind Madison Social Central. A reopened, fantastic. Congratulations to our friends at Madison Social. Congratulations to our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group, who we often kind of just generally refer to as Madison Social. But uh, man, it's a great place. And Monday, seventeenth, Reuben Day. I tell you what, you you go, you have a Reuben, uh, you finish it off with a you know some kind of wonderful frozen drink, whether it be their Strong Island iced tea that they brought out or whatever else, uh, Centrale. For the table restaurant group, uh, bringing it back open again as of today. Congratulations to them, and uh, know that they'll have nothing but success. Very excited that Central is back. Go get yourself pizza. Go go get yourself a wine slushy, guys. Central is awesome. Very happy for Matt and, Matt and his crew. They were able to reopen there. Awesome. All right, so uh, I think for the the second part of of the show tonight, or this is really not the second part. This is kind of like the, like the latter third or latter quarter. The ACC, so we, we had this morning, Florida State with their drama, never a boring day in Tallahassee, seemingly. And then you have like the pit thing happen with, I guess, some of their guys being held out of practice due to symptoms. And you had Syracuse players, again, sitting out because they're not happy with how the testing is going at Syracuse as far as frequency. Syracuse is doing what, every other week, I think? And that's not okay. They had been doing every other week, yeah. So I guess they'll have to do every other every week at this point to be in line with the conference. Uh, so so then uh, the report comes out that uh, John or 
yeah, John Thrasher has said today that uh, the ACC presidents are meeting and that they will probably vote uh, like for the final time about whether to go forward with the season. And so immediately my reaction was, well, this isn't really great. Like, this is not a great day to take this vote because you got the Florida State thing. You got Syracuse and Pitt going on on the same day. And then our friend Andrew Adelson at ESPN said, hey, by the way, this is the the regularly scheduled meeting, and they had previously said that we're going we're to vote on this later this week. Pete Thamel of Yahoo uh, tonight reports, I believe, no vote, uh, but they just plan to go forward as planned and will continue to monitor the medical situation. I don't have a whole lot to add to this uh, other than what we said two days ago in that I think they are going to try. They really are going to try. Yeah, they're going to try. They're going to try their damnedest. Um, 50-50 chance, in my opinion, that a, a school in the north of the ACC decides not to play football this year. Uh, just something to keep an eye on. I, I think the schedule would uh, carry on as is. I think you'd just work with some of the flexibility there. But it wouldn't shock me if you didn't have at least one participating member choosing not to play football. So, How, uh, how far north are we are we defining this? Uh, let's say, well, let's go to old College Park, Maryland, since nobody's there anymore, and uh, from an ACC standpoint, okay, and go north from there. So UVA and VTech are are not counted. Not, I've not, no concern with those institutions that I've heard of as of right now. Yeah. All right. Um, charity bet. Yeah. Now, let me let's define our terms. Does this only count if all the other ACC teams do play? Because if a Northern team doesn't play and everybody else is like, yeah, they're right, we're not playing, then... then um, this, my bet is that one of these schools bows out before the collective conference would. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, independently announces that they're not going to participate in football. Like Duke with the ACC conference tournament? Yes. Yeah. Ingram, I think that's a pretty good bet, man. I, 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 that's actually a, a fairly good bet that that could happen. So the question becomes, we've asked this many times, what is the, uh, what is the critical mass out there for ACC teams? You have 15 right now. I mean, that's obviously going to work. If you lose Syracuse, can you play 14? Yeah, it's another reason why the schedule was written why it was for win percentage. Yeah, I, I, think, you're, I think you're exactly right. I think you could play this thing with 10, with 10 teams. Now, the teams not playing would probably absolutely scream and shout that you need to give them the rev share. And I think the ACC probably would. <laughs> probably would. They probably would. And it'd probably be a good idea. Especially if the decisions are made by their government. Like, these ACC teams up north are basically like California teams as far as what the, what the regulations go or looking like right now. I believe that Syracuse, which is obviously in New York and, and Massachusetts, I think they still have their their 14-day quarantine restrictions in place for people from, you know, our, our, our renegade states. 70% of the country, uh, pretty much. But yeah, yeah. So uh, just something to keep an eye on. Something to keep an eye on. I, I think, I'm not sure the year would go on if all three did. And, and again, this is going back to conversations we've had for six weeks or so. I, I do think that you'd have to, you know, maybe two or more, or if you saw any kind of team from North Carolina bow out, that I would start to get really, really concerned. But uh, obviously, if any team from the ACC declares they're not going to play, that it'll be a significant moment in time, and we'll, uh, you know, reassess if and when that happens. Okay. 
I'm going to ask you a question here. It is August 13th, 9 o'clock at night. Are we talking about any kind of will they play news next week? Or do you think we're going to have a week where we can actually talk about football? No, I think we'll talk again about this. I mean, next I think, week? yeah, I do. Damn it, I do. man. I, 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 <laughs> not that I want to, but I, I think it'll come up. Uh, I think we'll continue to. I mean, I don't think there's going to be any point in time where we just kind of take off and it's clear sailing and it's, you know, I think it's going to be hit and go, hit and miss, uh, touch and go is what I was trying to say. Let me rephrase. Not me and you speculating about it, but like actual news or statements from like one of the conferences saying that they're wavering next week. Uh, an official statement? No, I think we're probably in the clear there. Can I, uh, can I mention that Florida State might be a top 25 team now? I just had to, this is incredibly tough. Try this at home. I had to redo my top 25, removing all Big Ten, Pac-12, and Boise State teams. And man, I got to tell you, I got Florida State as a top 20 team now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, between a lack of participation and some of the uh, the general flattening of the talent curve that's taken place around Florida State, if they can play, uh, there will be some some even more optimism Besides the fact that I think this is a well-instructed group with a good amount of buy-in and, uh, you know, as, as good of a kind of year zero project under the circumstances that they've been, uh, and that they possibly could be. Buy-in today is probably the best buy-in they ever had considering who was and wasn't at practice. I think... That's wrong to say. I think it's a team that's learning and growing and uh, starting to feel more comfortable with its coaching staff on the most for the most part. I, I think that's that's fair to say. Um, I do like the uh, the operation turnover tweets that, that Coach Adam Fuller puts out after practice, uh, emphasizing turnovers. Like we should celebrate turnovers. We also should uh, realistically realize that there's a pretty good amount of luck involved in turnovers. Uh, we, we did have some people at us asking if if the technique used by one of the DBs was okay because. We, like, what's the one of the most common complaints we get during the season? The DBs don't turn around. Well, they're taught to, fi- to if they're step for step, which w- is what we would call in phase. Uh, if you're step for step, then turn around and and try to make a play on the ball. If you are, a, if you're in a trail position, if you are not step for step, then you're taught to read the eyes, read the body, and react up and through the hands. Which is why some of these guys don't. Turn around. Now there was an interception. I forgot who made it. Actually, this was a couple of days ago. I think it was. If it's what I'm thinking, it was the Jones kid from Miss State. Yeah, you're, you're right. So he actually makes the pick. He doesn't look like he's in phase to me. And to be honest, yeah, that's exactly what it was. A good throw is a touchdown. Like the ball is is pretty horrendously underthrown to the fact where the receiver has to come back for it on what looks to be some kind of go route, and. People are like, look, see, he played the ball. I'm like, yes, he did. However, if he turned around for that ball and it's a decent quarterback throwing it, it's way over his head because it's a touchdown. I don't think that this staff is teaching a dramatically different technique as far as how to play the ball and how to play the hands than guys like Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Dave Aranda, Brent Venables teach. This is, this is an area where you don't see that much differentiation because it's just simple physics. If you're not in phase, you don't need to be trying to make some kind of insane play on the ball because you're not, you're not stride for stride. If you, 
if you play the ball and, and, and miss in that situation, the chance are like, and the guy catches it, you're nowhere close to even be able to make a tackle. If you're stride for stride and you go up for the ball, chances that the other guy is also potentially going up for the ball at the same time as you. And at the very least, it falls incomplete. That's kind of one of the reasons why they teach that technique. So uh, I just kind of wanted to address that there. Let me see. Recruiting-wise, Corey Collier uh, ends up going to, uh, to Florida. Uh, Florida State was recruiting him pretty hard for a while. I know they were sending him graphics, and they were trying to get him to be part of their uh, Locals and Legacies campaign, which so far, just looking at the scoreboard, not going that great uh, for them. But I think most of this does circle back to the idea of an article that I wrote about today for 24-7 Sports. And did you get a chance to see this, have, by the way? I have not seen it, no. Uh, so this is actually about, and a bunch of coaches retweeted this, so I, I tallied up all of the actual things that this recruiting class has missed out on. So the dead period, we have now had 153 consecutive days of dead period. It went into effect March 13th. And normally, uh, through this time, would not have anywhere close to that. We're actually going to have 201 dead period days consecutively by the end of September. Okay. That's pretty crazy. Now, by the end of September, schools will also have missed out on 60 evaluation days, dude. That's like almost, that, that, that's over two months of evaluation days. What are evaluation days? So the NCAA defines evaluation days as the period of time when it's permissible uh, basically to go off campus to high schools to meet kids. Now, you can't have like long, drawn out conversations with them, but you know, you, you can kind of meet them. The bump rule is whatever. Coaches, guidance counselors, teachers, if their parents happen to be on campus, you, you, you can say what's up to them. You're getting transcripts, you're getting heightened weights, you get to watch them practice, you get to watch them work out, et cetera. Also, during the evaluation period, they're eligible to come to your campus and take visits. So, Two months of that totally wiped out. The number of evaluation days Florida State staff and other staffs in, around the country this year have had uh, since zero. They have not had a single evaluation day yet in this recruiting cycle because the dead period has continually been extended and it was extended again yesterday through the end of September. Uh, schools and prospects will also have missed out on 77 of the normal allotment of 90 quiet period days. What is the quiet period? Quiet period is this. You can't go off campus to visit the kids but the kids can come to your campus. They, they can take tours, et cetera. You, you can still call them, obviously. Florida State, they did get some of this. They got 13 days. 13 days. Normally, they would get 90. 13 days for three months. And the 13 days they got are not typically days where you get a boatload of kids visiting, except for local kids, because school and, and you know, high school spring practice and, and whatnot. So, yeah, man. The graphic on this that we're going to make and throw on Instagram is pretty wild. This has just been a, a complete dead period recruiting cycle. It's led to a lack of information for recruits. It's also led about the schools. It's also led to a lack of information for schools about the kids. Questions like, how big is this prospect? Or from the, from the recruit, hey, what's campus like? <laughs> you know, how many kids are in some of these northern recruiting classes who have never visited a school in, say, the state of Minnesota or Wisconsin or or Iowa, perhaps. So I thought that was pretty interesting, and we, sh we should share that. But the numbers, when I started playing around with it this morning, it's like, damn, 
they're going to have 200 dead period days by the end of September. Wow. Good luck, man. Good, again, um, good luck evaluating all the kids that aren't surefire, five stars, four star, you know, elite of the elite. We just did our 2023 list, by the way. Extremely difficult. I'm actually writing an article about, about the difficulty of doing a 2023 list when you haven't seen the kids at camps. Like that's where seeing the kids at camps really matters quite a bit. Does the fact that they're ninth graders make that harder, bud? It does. Also, the fact that like half of this is 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 JV film. Oh, just being a smart ass, but yeah. Oh yeah. no, well yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, no JV film. I can't imagine trying to evaluate JV film. I, I, as, it's difficult. Yeah, I mean the disparity between talent level at JV is maybe as pronounced from the whole seventh grade on because uh, you have. You know, you just have juniors that are never going to play. It's just a strange, strange period of time. You also have to be aware of which schools have policies that basically like we don't allow freshmen to play above JV. And there are some schools in Texas who just straight up do not allow freshmen to play varsity ball, even if they're really, really good. And like there's some schools in Alabama that do the same, not like a it's just basically the coach's rule. I don't want to deal with freshmen. If you're a really good freshman, you'll play on my JV team. You don't have to play on a freshman team, but you're not going to play varsity for us. So that's interesting. It's like, wait, why did this kid play JV? Was it to get more reps or was it because his coach just does not allow, uh, does not allow you to play that? So I don't know, man. Label me real skeptical that spring ball is possible for in anybody, uh, particularly power five teams. But, uh, that's a that's a bridge that we'll we'll cross hypothetically when big, the Big Ten and maybe the Pac Ten try to or Pac Twelve try to play, but I don't think that's a real viable option. The more and more that I talk to people in the sport, so we'll see. I am also skeptical that spring is possible. However, I would recommend everybody check out the plan released by Jeff Brom today. I don't know if you saw that or not. Uh, pretty interesting. Uh, make sure you see a tweet. I think. McMurphy had had the tweet with the multiple page, like the multiple copies of, of all the pages in the tweets. So you can actually see what the color coding is about. And he took great care to actually make sure they have less hitting in a year with the spring football season combined than they do in a, in a normal year, which I thought was pretty interesting. So you would have a lot fewer padded practices uh, throughout the year, which is probably where stuff's going anyway, eventually. But uh, yeah, man, I've enjoyed this episode. I, I uh, Let's do this again. <laughs> let's be careful what we wish for right now. Um, yeah, let's do. We'll be back soon, soon enough. Don't know that when we signed off a couple nights ago, we realized we'd be quite back as quickly as we were. But uh, hopefully it was a good episode. Uh, we certainly have been blessed to be able to pod as much as we have recently. want to thank you, the listeners, uh, for making that possible. And we will be back soon. And for now, that's it from the Nolcast. Listener questions next week, heavy. Also, get us those buyer sell topics. Appreciate it, y'all. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.